Hello, and thank you for listening to this Fun Board Council podcast. This is a 15-minute excerpt of our longer podcasts, and the full podcasts are available exclusively to Fun Board Council members via their member portal. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more about membership, please do contact us via our website at funboards.org. In the meantime, happy listening. Hello and welcome. This session, like a couple others for the INED Bootcamp, uh, is focused on assessment of value, but this one's with a slight difference, which we will talk to you about in a minute. Before I bring in Brandon, Brandon Horwitz, who is a senior advisor at Fundboards Council, but uh, has also done a couple of assessment of value reports himself in year one, so quite an expert on the subject. Welcome, Brandon. Um, before we talk about year two, which is really what we want to talk about in this uh, in this session, let's just reflect a little bit about what happened in year one. So we know for a fact that there was very little guidance in terms of in terms of prescription from the regulator, which has been proven to be quite difficult for some of the boards and indeed some of the um, firms who had to produce the assessment of value report. In fact, our own assessment of the reports, the 200-odd reports that we've looked at, uh, all, all of which are available in the FBC's Assessment of Value Report Bank, suggests that, especially around the issue of remedies, there was really not much that took place. In fact, over 80% of the reports, as we looked at them, had very little in terms of remedies. The ones that did focus on them actually had some useful things to say there. And in fact, if we wanted to put a positive spin on it, I think it would be fair to say that Things did happen in year one, even though lots of people expected year one, maybe not much would uh, take place. Uh, So, for example, we saw there were quite a large number of share class conversions that took place. We know for a fact some fees were adjusted. Um, So things did happen, maybe not as much as some of us might have liked, but certainly from a broader perspective, would you say that year one was was a reasonably positive year? I think I would, Shiv. I I think I definitely would. And Drawing on my own experience, so I worked with two two very different firms. Um, so one of them was a hundred and thirty billion pound asset manager with over forty funds, and one was a one point two billion pound asset manager with four funds, and quite quite different in terms of the scale of the organisations. Uh, but luckily for me, they both started from I think a very positive place of wanting to meet the letter and the spirit. Uh, of what the regulator was asking them to do. As you say, the regulator gave some criteria, uh, some of which were quite principles-based, and didn't say precisely how firms were meant to embed this. And I think that explains why the better firms, um, and again, I was lucky enough that the two firms I worked with, we spent the first few months just thinking about those criteria, looking at what did they mean for the businesses that we were involved in, What did they mean for our operating model? And very importantly, the way that we distributed our funds uh, within these two organizations. And and we know the FCA is very focused on distribution, including from the most recent piece they put out in February this year. So I think the firms which did their assessment of value better um, will have started from this position of let's first think about what it means for me and then dive into all of the analysis, management information conclusions. so I, I I actually have a different view to, to some of those who are saying the regulator didn't tell you what to do. I think the regulator didn't tell you exactly how to do it, but the regulator made very clear what they expected from various different firms. And I agree with you, we may not have seen 
as much as some people would have hoped, but we did see a lot. We saw reductions in charges on funds, uh, not just annual management charges, but we saw other slightly less visible fees like registration fees and other sorts of uh, perhaps fees which might not have been scrutinized in the past coming down. Maybe it was only a basis point here or there, but that that is still, you know, every every little basis point counts, so to speak. We also saw, as you say, investors being moved out of legacy into clean share classes, and that that happened by and large across almost every single firm. I think it was very few which which didn't seem to be doing that. And finally, and, and admittedly, this is not an easy one to see, but there was a lot of talk about scrutinizing and holding fund managers feet to the fire to improve strategies. And you could argue that's business as usual and should be done anyway by fund boards. But I think the assessment of value process focused hearts and minds on the need to really do that. And perhaps if some boards hadn't articulated the criteria to put funds on watch uh, and, and to really scrutinize the managers, this prompted and was really this catalyst to improve what they do. That last point of yours, Brandon, is uh, neatly takes us into a sort of starting point for a discussion about what's now going to happen in the second year of assessment of value. We know at FBC we were very fortunate to have the regulator come and have a discussion with some of our members in November. And there were a couple of interesting things that came up in that meeting. But one that left a lasting impression on me was that although the report, the final output, is still going to be seen as a very important piece of the puzzle, if I could use that uh, phrase, in year two, the action is slightly shifting into the boardroom and into the organization, as opposed to solely on the report. Is, was that your reading of the situation? I think so. And, and if I look back at year one, the actual reports have gone through an evolution. The first ones were quite concise, quite legalistic, quite part of the report and accounts. And as we went through the year, we did see firms learning from each other, raising the bar, and we saw improvements uh, as to what was in the reports, but also how the reports were presented. A, a lot more showing off workings, and and a bit more of a a bit more of a, a line of sight into what actually is under the hood, what's actually making the the firm tick in how they've done their assessment. But I think we all know that the actual reports themselves were only ever going to be the tip of the iceberg, and again, some of the better reports hint at what's really been happening in the boardroom. And one of the things that I think we should be celebrating, um, and, and again, this is not something which is very obvious in the public domain, but there's been a cultural change within authorized fund manager boards. If you've seen the MI packs, if you've seen the packs which are being discussed at the board, suddenly there are metrics which may not have ever been there before. Customer-focused metrics on complaints, metrics on net promoter scores, metrics on uh, customer satisfaction, if there is a direct customer, and if there isn't a direct customer, there is at least an effort to commission some research through distributors to understand who are getting these funds, are we meeting a target market, what are they doing with it? We know there's still a lot of area to be improved, and again, this is something which the FCA flagged in their thematic review on, on PROD uh, and, and the MIFID requirements in February this year. But again, based on my experience working 2019-2020 with fund managers, there has been a absolute phase shift in what is discussed at the top table. It's less about administration and operations, because obviously um, that is a key part of running an authorized fund manager. And there is more about the customer, perhaps, again, not as much as some people think there should be, but it's happening and it's there. And, and management information is not glamorous, 
but it is also really important you know as peter drucker said what gets measured gets managed if it's not in the mi pack it's not going to get talked about and that's one of the reasons why it's important for us to try and get under the hood but obviously that can't be done in the public domain now yes that's absolutely right we also noted at that at that November meeting that we had with the regulators uh, and our members, there was some discussion about what sort of feedback is there going to be from the regulator to the broader marketplace and when might that be forthcoming? And I think the regulators were fairly open with us saying that they wanted to give feedback much sooner than they might like might end up doing so. The chances are possibly late in the summer, early in the autumn, there might be some sort of uh, discussion in terms of what their initial thinking is. In the meanwhile, how do you think boards, fund boards, and indeed the executives supporting these uh, boards ought to be preparing for what is likely to be fairly tough discussions with, with the regulator? And what is FBC doing to help support them? So it's a good question, Shiv, and, and obviously it leads us naturally to the genesis of the FBC Assessment of Value Assurance Review. And uh, for people who are not familiar with it, it's a new service which we've established, and what it really provides is an independent review of how an authorised fund manager has done their assessment of value in year one. Covers absolutely everything from the initial process, the internal analysis, all the way through to the value assessment statement, which is what's in the public domain. And the question is, well, if that's what it does, why would you do that? And to go to your point, Shiv, this is all about assurance. This is all about you as a board of an authorised fund manager, especially the independent NEDs of that authorised fund manager, getting assurance that what you've done in year one is likely to have met the FCA's requirements. We can't know categorically because we haven't had that feedback, but we actually have a better feel than many people realise what the FCA is looking for. And I'll, I'll unpack that in a moment. But just to talk about what you're going to get in the end from an assessment of value assurance view, ultimately it's about getting that report, understanding where are you against what we believe the regulator expects, where are you absolutely on top of things and doing best practice, and where are there perhaps some areas that you could improve. And the key question, as you said, is, is why now? Um, some some uh, in the industry are saying, well, we haven't heard what the regulator wants, if only they would give us a template, if only they would tell us what they want. And I'm I'm personally of the opinion that the regulator has been pretty clear from day one what they expect. Yes, there's a bit of work for firms to internalise that. But even as recently as September last year, we had Mark Teasdale, who is the director of wholesale supervision at the FCA, telling us in a speech exactly what they're looking for, why culture is so important. Things like we're going to be focusing on governance and conflicts of interest. Um, we're expecting firms to focus on protecting and growing the capital and income of their customers. Uh, Mark says a few other things in his speech about the fact that the value assessment is your opportunity to explain to your staff and your customers what is your basic proposition? Um, is it delivering value? And if it's not delivering value, this is your opportunity to take action to improve your proposition. Now, you could say that's quite high level, and I'd say, no, fair, fair criticism, but you can go back to January 2020 when the FCA wrote a uh, Dear CEO letter. This is now over a year ago, making very, very clear what is their supervisory agenda. And again, this is all in the public domain. Very, very clear. They set three prongs to what they wanted to look at. Authorised fund manager governance, value assessments and product governance. And those three are all very, very closely linked. And there's a there's some, there's a theme going through them. 
It's things like, are the boards of the regulated entities engaging in a robust discussion and challenge? Um, are they recognizing and taking steps to mitigate harm from conflicts of interest, especially between affiliates? And we know affiliates are a very, very common theme in the fund management world where the authorized fund manager is often a subsidiary of a bigger firm. And so it's absolutely core. And we know this is something that they really scrutinize. They're also looking for meaningful challenge by the uh, non-executives, especially on costs, fees and product design. And again, product design, product governance keeps coming through as the regulator wants to see products designed with the interests of a target market in mind. And they want to see how firms have implemented what is the expectation in terms of the Mifid prod requirements. And how does that all link together into assessment of value? We think it is really pretty clear what the regulator wants, and we believe we can hold up that bar and help firms to understand it. The question then is, why choose FBC? And again, there's three reasons why we think FBC is very well placed to do this. We're all about advocating for good board governance. We're all about offering guidance and consultancy, and we're all about supporting greater diversity on fund boards. Better board governance, we think assessment of value has been the real catalyst to drive change. And um, we think the work that we do with firms in the space just helps us to establish where the bar is, what are the best practices. The guidance and consultancy is a part of a key, a key service which we offer to, to uh, organizations. And diversity is a really important part of introducing challenge and creating a culture and a safe environment where different views can feature. So one of the key things we do look at uh, in an assessment of value assurance review is how is culture, how is diversity being looked at, but with a very, very focused lens on AOV. It's not a full board review. It's not a diversity benchmarking exercise. It is very much applied. How is this applied to assessment of value? That's excellent, Brandon. Thank you. But one final question before I let you go. Who might within the organization or within the board, who might be, do you think might be taking responsibility for an exercise like the one you've just described? It's a, it, it's a good point. And we know firms have had quite different approaches to, to applying assessment of value. Um, at the one end of the spectrum, it's been seen as a, a, a regulatory project, so to speak. Uh, and um, some firms have established a, a change program where project managers and various people have been involved in, in delivering it. And I think certainly in year one, that's something which um, some firms did. Other firms have actually placed it front and center within the product governance, the product management part of the business. And you've seen product heads and product teams being very closely involved. The middle ground is sometimes where you have governance or company secretariat getting involved um, and, and driving it. If I had to say what I think best practice is, best practice is probably much more involvement to the first line. Um, we think assessment of value should be part of the, the rhythm and routine of what a business does. We hoped you enjoyed that uh, 15 minute excerpt. If you did and you'd like to find out more about how you can access the full recording uh, or about FBC membership in general, please contact us via our website at funboards.org.